Thanks, Rosie. Um, please do keep those red Bibles close to hand. We're just going to look at those 12 verses. So it would really help if you can have them where you can see them. Um, but I'm going to pray one more time to ask for God's help for me and for you as we look at what he has to say. Father, please would you help us this afternoon, whether this is the first time that we look at these sentences or the hundredth time that we look at these sentences. Father, please would you help us to recognise the true Lord Jesus and so respond to him rightly. Amen. Well, it's that time of year, isn't it, where you get all sorts of invitations to kind of social functions. You know the kind of thing, the work Christmas party, or maybe an annual awards night. It was our running club awards night a few weeks ago. It might be an invite from the neighbours to come in and have mince pies, or, or maybe something else like that, gatherings with friends. And it's funny, isn't it? Sometimes you're just not quite sure what's on the agenda, what it is quite going to be like. How shall I dress? Is it smart, smart? Smart casual? Christmas jumper? Will it be everyone? Directors as well as general staff? Will it be those people from number four as well? Who's going to be there? Will it be formal or informal? Do I bring a gift? Is there another agenda for this meeting? It's not quite sure. It's not nice, is it, not knowing exactly what it's going to be like. When I was in my final year of university, I applied for a graduate scheme, actually for a logistics firm quite local to here. Um, on the second night of the selection day, we were invited to a big formal meal. It was bizarre in many, for many reasons. Uh, we had all kinds of directors and bigwigs coming to join in with a meal with potential new staff. But what was particularly bizarre about it was it was held in the um, canteen of the production site of this big logistics firm. So there I am, sitting at my plastic table in a canteen, covered in um, probably white tablecloth, pretending to be all smart, and looking at the space next to me, trying to work out who it might be in the room that's coming to sit down next to me. Anyway, people are finding their seats, and it takes a little bit of time before anyone comes and sits down. Most people are seated when suddenly a big, posh car rolls up outside the window. Everyone can see the bright headlights, and um, a chauffeur-driven car with a posh person gets out, comes in, and clearly the executive vice president of the group has been scheduled to sit next to me. Bizarre. I mean, bizarre. You can imagine me in my final year of university sitting there thinking, oh no, what is he doing here? What's it going to be like? What do I do? I'll leave you to imagine how that evening played out. But I didn't go back there. <laughs> I don't know if you've watched uh, I'm a Celebrity this year. I haven't watched more than a couple of minutes at the curry night a few weeks back. Um, there was a few boys that were, uh, came to watch the football but were really there for watching I'm a Celebrity just straight afterwards. Um, let me give you a few of the past winners of I'm a Celebrity. Phil Tufnell, Kerry Katona, Stacey Solomon, 
Harry Redknapp. So it was quite the surprise this year to hear that Matt Hancock, MP, would join that list of people entering the jungle. I think it is still the jungle, I'm a celebrity. Yeah. Um, What is he doing here with them? Quite the shock. And look, as we join chapter 2, just have a look back down. The very first sentence is a bit of a shock. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. You see, the shock of verse 1 is that these Magi, who had been learned, respectable, great men, have come to worship this new baby king. But, did you see the shock? This little boy isn't even in the capital. He's tucked away in some unassuming setting of a little town down the road because it's still the time and the rule of the current king. And a bit like Matt Hancock or the vice president, you could say of the Magi, what are they doing here? And where are they going to end up? It's a shock. And if you were here last week, you might wonder after all of that build-up, Loads of build-up that Matthew gave us as to this arrival. Three sets of 14 generations all waiting for the arrival of this newborn baby. Hundreds of years of prophecies. Has this birth gone under the radar? Are people, people are looking in the wrong place. People don't seem to know that he's arrived. Well, you'll notice Matthew in his account of Jesus He's pretty understated in the actual arrival, the actual delivery, the birth. Do you see that? Just flip back to the end of chapter 1. She gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus, beginning of chapter 2, after Jesus was born. That is it. Just a couple of words to the actual delivery of the baby. That is understated. But, you see, as Matthew presents Jesus' actual birth in a pretty understated way, there's no way you could say of the overall portrayal and introduction of Jesus that it's understated. In fact, in all that Matthew's doing and attempts to do in how he portrays the the arrival of this King Jesus, he wants to emphasise the fact that this is the Messiah, the long-promised Saviour. And this afternoon, we're just going to hone in on two details that Matthew shows us, that help us to see that significance. And then think, how does that help us to respond to Jesus? So first, the place, the first visitors for this long-awaited king arrive in Jerusalem. Do you see that in verse 1? And ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? But, shock, Jesus is not there. Who's there instead? The current king. And he has to ask his advisors all about this new king. Who, in in verse 5, reply, he's born in Bethlehem. Not Jerusalem after all, but Bethlehem. Well, why is this place a big deal? The Magi turn up to Jerusalem and he's not there, he's in Bethlehem. Why is that a big deal? Well, Jerusalem is the capital The place you'd imagine a high-profile arrival to take place. The place the visitors most naturally went to find a king. But instead of finding Jesus, 
all they've done is alerted the current king of the Jews to this new arrival. The news of a new king is clearly disturbing to the current king, obviously. You can imagine, right? Asking the existing king, oh, where's the new king? Not particularly thrilled. If you've watched The Star, you might remember that scene as the Magi come in to ask Herod and he's not thrilled. We watched yesterday. It's never going to go down well, especially when Herod didn't know anything about Jesus' arrival. Look at verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. The place is a big deal because it's an upset. Because it's news to the king, it's unsettling to all Jerusalem. The place is a big deal because it's a shock. That's repeated through our passage four times for emphasis. Little Bethlehem, home to a royal baby. But the place is a big deal, not just because it's a shock, but actually because it's turning out just as it was promised. Do you see what happened when Herod heard the news? He turns to his advisors and they clearly knew about the prophecies. Because look at verse 5. They have the information. They say, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. It's a big deal, this place, because it was promised. That quotation comes from Micah, one of the prophets. It identifies the Messiah's birthplace, specifically as Bethlehem in Judea. In Judah. This is what it says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And the geographical significance shows us just what Jesus will do. This promised baby will come to rule and to shepherd. Bethlehem is the town of David, where the son of David is to be born king of the Jews. We looked at that last week. And this is the royal arrival from the royal line. The place is significant because of what was promised. Here are a few more lines from the prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour bears a son. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. It's striking, isn't it? How that speaks about Jesus. But what does it tell us about Jesus? Well, he is the promised ruler, shepherd. He's promised. The the location shows that he's promised. The prophecy that the chief priest gave us, gave in verse 6, that was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. It's a simple way to hone down the exact place that Jesus would be born. It rules out any other city that he might be born in. And so since that time of Micah, people should have been expecting and must know that this is where the arrival would take place. And here he is arriving just as promised. The location shows us 
He is the ultimate ruler as well. This is the king who will rule with justice and righteousness. He has arrived. Do you notice the words from Micah? Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. See, the mind-bending truth is that this baby, as he is delivered into the world, is not just a new life created. John says, the eternal word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is Jesus taking on a human body. Here's what Colossians 1 says about Jesus. For in him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all, in him, all things hold together. This is Jesus, the centre of all things, and he's being born in Bethlehem. See, even more ridiculous than the vice president coming to sit next to me at dinner is that Jesus, the supreme king of all, who is there at the creation of the world, who holds all things together, is born as a baby in a place like this. But whilst it might be baffling for us, it's not completely unexpected. It's certainly not uncalculated, and it's not a mistake, because Jesus is also the shepherd He arrives in quite unassuming circumstances from a flawed family line that we looked at last week to imperfect parents, but he comes to shepherd his people. As well as being the right, royal ruler, supreme in every way, Jesus came to humbly shepherd his people. This is what Jesus says later on in life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. You see, Jesus, he gave up everything he was entitled to, to rescue his people, to become like us, to know us, to lay down his life for us. Have you recognised the promised ruler, shepherd this Christmas. He's the promised one that you can have full confidence is God's perfect provision for an imperfect people. He's the ruler who, with all authority, through whom all things were created in the universe, who sustains all things. Do you know Jesus, this ruler? Are you actually willing to hand over the keys to your life to this ruler to make him the centre of your life he's the ruler and he's the shepherd he's the shepherd who knows you and who gave himself up for you and you see the significance of those two things he knows you 
and he gave himself up for you. He knows you like no one else, and he gave himself up for you. Do you have a relationship with the one who knows everything about you? Every hidden secret, every insecurity, every, every character flaw, every limitation. He knows you and he gave himself up for you. He gave himself up for you, his life to death on a cross, to rescue you from the consequence of every sin. Every problem, every issue that is caused by you choosing to not live his way. Is Jesus your shepherd? This Christmas, are you feeling weary? Are you feeling weighed down by what's going on? Are you approaching Christmas not thrilled? Jesus says to you, I have come to be your shepherd. Every comfort, every protection, every discipline that you could ever need. Do you know him? I don't know if you've had uh, visitors on Christmas Day before. Um, It's always a bit of a bizarre dynamic. Um, I've benefited a number of times from being a visitor to someone else's house on Christmas Day. It's There's nothing quite like it. It's so lovely to be welcomed into another family and to be treated like one of them. To be loved, to be cared for, to be given gifts. Normally not quite as many, but that's fine. But it's so, so lovely. At a time like Christmas, I think I've been that guest twice uh, abroad. It's obviously a big deal welcoming someone into your family day. Lots of tradition and lots of people... Uh, really prize themselves on what happens at Christmas. Um, But my family certainly share that sentiment. A few years ago, I'll never forget the moment, sat around the dinner table just a few weeks before Christmas, and my mum decided to share the news. We were having a visitor for Christmas. Who is it? Who is it? Charles is coming. And I'll never forget the moment my brother chirped up Charles? Who's Charles? No one had heard of Charles. We didn't know who Charles was. And so we had this bizarre conversation about the fact that Charles, who um, worked with my mum, who was a colleague, who had no family in England, who had no one to celebrate the day with, who lived just around the corner, was going to be invited for Christmas. Now you can imagine, you can imagine the conversation was just in the build-up to Christmas. What's Charles going to be like? What, who is this guy? What's it going to be like around Christmas? Anyway, it comes to Christmas Day and it became pretty clear that the invite to Charles was maybe slightly loose or it was either given loosely or received loosely because it, we were told two o'clock was mealtime. And so Charles had been invited for any or all of the day as much as he liked, but be there for dinner. So, you can imagine, in our house, the whole day, we're waiting for the doorbell. (laughs) Who's Charles? What's going to happen? What's it going to be like? Me and my brother and my sister, just, I'm just genius. Who is this guy? But no Charles, gets to lunchtime, dinner's on the table, no Charles, what do we do? Are we going to eat? Are we going to wait? So we tuck in, we start eating, no Charles. No doorbell, nothing. 
keep eating, hoping we could just spread the mealtime out a little bit. You know how it is with Christmas, you always eat too much. It gets to about 3.45, and we finished our main course. And you know that moment that happens at Christmas dinner, where you finish your main course, and you're like, oh, we've got so much good stuff for pudding, but I am so full, what do we do? I know we'll go and sit in the lounge for a bit, get some comfy chairs, maybe go out for a walk, work, work our appetite up. So the first of us was going through to the lounge to find the comfy seats and bing, the doorbell. A chaos. In that moment, as swift as anything, mum's at the front door. Charles, good to see you. Dad, like quick as a flash, potatoes on everyone's plates, everyone's loaded <laughs> up. Like we're absolutely stuffed and everyone's plate is absolutely loaded full. Charles comes into the room and is like, oh, good timing. Uh, yeah, good timing. Cheers, Charles. Good to meet you. Happy Christmas. Uh, bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. And it, it unfolded in similarly bizarre circumstances. It was a bizarre visit. It was a bizarre Christmas. But possibly even more bizarre is the visit of the Magi. Now, we've become pretty familiar with the visitors. The major, you just think back to any school play, any old thing, any nativity scene you've seen in a church. Pretty familiar, isn't it? Riding on a camel, long flowing garments, some Egyptian music probably, maybe a crown or two and the famous gift. But who actually were they? The word comes from magos, meaning learned men, great often advisors to kings, they're respectable. These are rich, important, respected people. They were prestigious advisors, often that gave critical information to kings and rulers. And look at verse 1. They went to Jerusalem first as the capital, the place, the capital that you'd expect the king to be at. But instead, after the diversion, where did they actually end up? Where do they actually end up? They end up lying at the feet of a baby. Just have a look at verse 11. See the word bowed down? We read that as quite a distinguished show of appreciation, a, a very noble bow. But the word literally means to fall down, to collapse, to lie in the muck in complete awe of this king. For these men, impressive in the world's eyes, powerful, respected, the last thing you'd expect them to do is to fall face down in the mud before a baby. Why did they do it? Why did they show such an obvious show of adulation? Well, in that moment, they recognised the truth that the world revolves around Jesus. He is deserving of our worship, and so nothing else mattered to them. Do you see in verse 2 that was their intention all along? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Jesus is the long-promised Messiah. He is the ruler of all, and the result of recognising that will always lead in two directions. Some will respond like Herod, 
Just look at Herod, verse 3, disturbed, because he thinks that Jesus is a threat to him, that the world might not revolve around King Herod anymore, but around Jesus. So what does he do, verse 7? He finds out exactly when the star arrived. Why? Well, because he wanted to work out how old the baby must be. Why? Well, sadly, just look at verse 16, chapter 2. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. He worked back from the arrival of the star to try and kill every boy born since, because he could not take that Jesus was the centre of the world. See, when Herod recognised Jesus, he stands directly opposed to him. But some will respond like the wise men on hearing the news of his arrival. When they recognise him as the right ruler, the long-promised Messiah, they throw themselves at his feet. This Christmas, Jesus is at the centre of the universe. He is the the long-promised ruler shepherd. And that is the very best thing for us. For Jesus to be the centre of our Christmas. But how do you feel about that? Does that threaten your desire to be at the centre of the world this Christmas? Are you disturbed by that? Do you not really want to give that up? Or will you be like the Magi? And come and worship him. Recognising he is the mighty ruler. He is your caring shepherd. Will you fall at his feet because of who he is and what he's done for you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you.